Welcome back to the Cherry Pickin' Podcast featuring Andre Cherry Pickin' Cherry, Philadelphia's favorite college football mind. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned in to the Cherry Pickin' Podcast with your host, Andre Cherry. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Andre Cherry, your host for another very special episode of the Cherry Picker Podcast. I'm so grateful that you have all downloaded this episode. I hope it's a fun one because we don't currently have sports to keep us entertained. And so I've been trying to churn out content as frequently as possible. I've got three brand new podcasts out right now in case you miss those. You can find those at my website, cherrypickingsports.com. In addition to all of the podcasts that I have in my collection, we're already in season three, if you can believe it or not. This podcast keeps rolling along here, and I'm excited for the 2020 season. That is if we actually have college football this fall. So I'm getting a little more worried that This coronavirus or COVID-19 is more serious than we actually know or we're actually hearing from the media or or the government. And I'm fully expecting to have a lockdown here fairly soon, which might be something that we need. I mean, I'm not necessarily for martial law, I guess, but I I think if, if this disease is as serious as the reports say it is, I think we're going to need to be inside on a permanent basis. And if you hear it in my voice, I'm a little sick right now. I actually went to the ER to get tested for Corona myself. I've been traveling quite a bit for work uh, for my day job. And when I got back uh, last week, I had this lingering cold. It started as a cold, uh, usually starts in the back of my throat. And then it just spreads to my body. And so just this week, I've had a bad cough. I had a fever yesterday of over a 101. And uh, I had like a real bad dry cough. I've been sneezing. I'm about to cough right now. Give me one second. Put myself on mute there so you couldn't hear me. But I've had a dry cough that has been lingering for the past few days. This morning, I actually woke up and I was coughing up mucus. And it was all red. Uh, so I, I think that alerted urgent care that I need to go to the ER immediately, which is what I did today. And the process really wasn't long or cumbersome as other folks have reported across the country. I, I think it's true. The hospitals are, are gearing up and ramping up for a lot of folks to be overcrowding the hospitals with testing for COVID-19. But when I went in today, there were only two other people in front of me. And I I didn't really have that long of a wait. I probably was waiting for like 10 minutes after I did the intake. And then I went back to a room to get checked out by a doctor and and a nurse. And so I I took the test for the flu and I think some other viruses. And so the hospital told me that the test would, would test for those viruses first. And so if the test comes back negative for the flu and the other strains of, of common viruses that they would then submit that test for corona testing. So I'll find out within 24 hours if I have the strain of A or B of the flu or another common virus. And if I test negative for all of those viruses, it'll then be submitted for the coronavirus test. And then in that case, I'll find out in three days. So yeah, the process for me to get tested, I did an urgent care virtual visit through my provider, my healthcare provider. And then from there, we did a an actual WebEx type appointment over the phone, like Skype. And then from there, when I told the doctor my symptoms and what I've been going through, she she recommended that I go to the ER directly. So that's what I did. My partner dropped me off and I was in the ER probably probably not even not even two hours. I was probably there for like an hour, hour and a half tops. And so I have instructions on my discharge papers to give this phone number a call to see how my test came back. So I'll do that tomorrow morning. But, you know, fingers crossed that it's it's not corona. And so if it is, if it is coronavirus, they're telling folks to be quarantined or self-quarantine themselves for 14 days. And so what I want to do today on this podcast, like I said, I don't know what my test results are. 
I'm hoping that I just have maybe a flu or the cold. I generally have allergies every year, seasonal allergies. So I'm hoping that it's something that maybe my daughter got or just something that uh, that she gave me or that it's something that is not coronavirus related. So that would be good. But in the in the event that it is coronavirus and I'm I'm locked away for 14 days, I wanted to go through the top 14 college football games from the 2019 season. I've compiled a list of those games week by week, and I want to give you 14 games. If I, you know, if I eventually get locked in due to this virus, or if you ever get locked in due to, due to this virus, I want to give you 14 games that are well worth it for you to look up and watch on YouTube or to find clips of. 14 games that I think were some of the most compelling games of the 2019 season. So I've got a little, uh, I've got clips that I'll be playing through the, throughout this podcast, kind of recapping those games. And I want to just give you my opinion for the top 14 games for the 2019 season. I think this will be a fun podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll get it started relatively soon here. One thing that I had forgot to mention about the coronavirus is that if you have to get that test, may God be with you because it's not fun. They take, and I thought this was a blood test. So I, I'm in, sitting in there. I've got my mask on. And the nurse and the doctor, they have their masks on. And so we're talking to each other through the masks. And so they're getting ready for this test. And I, I asked the question, um, so is this a blood test? And the nurse kind of chuckled a little bit. And she said, oh, no, sweetie, this is a swab test. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. I'm going to get a swab in my mouth. Not not too bad. She said, it is a swab in the mouth, but then there's also two swabs for each, each nostril. And she said, this isn't fun because I have to take these not, these swabs and stick them all the way up in the back of your nose, all the way back. And I cringed a little bit. I was like, that, you know, that seems like that would hurt. And she said it, it definitely causes some discomfort. And I was a little nervous, um, but she kind of counted me down for it. And I'm telling you, it made my eyes water. The pain I felt was unlike any any kind of pain that I felt at a doctor's visit in a long, long time. It was worse than getting a shot, if I'm being honest. So I just want to brace you for that if you ever have to go get tested for this virus. It's not fun, but I'm hoping it will tell me what I need to know tomorrow, that hopefully I have, I have the, the flu. But uh, they said they need to do it that way and stick it all up your nose because that's where the germs like to hide. They like to hide all the way up in your nose where it's dark, moist. And so they're like, we have to stick these up your nose to, to test. So just giving you a, a, a forewarning. But yeah, anyways, with that, I want to get into this podcast now, and so I'm going to be unveiling the top 14 games from 2019, and we'll start with week two, and I'll work my way all the way down the schedule to week 15. So with that, again, these are the top 14 games for you to watch every day that you are locked away in quarantine. So a game a day for 14 days. I'm going in order of uh, week Week 1 to week 15. So we're starting at the beginning of the season, going to the end of the season. And so, with the first game from week 2, we have LSU versus Texas. And then in the SEC, I had LSU over Texas. LSU got the victory 45-38. to And this was the first matchup between these two schools in the regular season since 1954. It's not often that we get a a game like this where these two teams who are ranked really highly face off their non-conference opponents and they faced off in week two of the season. That's a big time game that we usually don't get an opportunity to see unless we're talking at the end of the year at a bowl game. So hats off to both these programs for scheduling this game. And I think LSU has catapulted itself up in the rankings when the AP poll is is going to be released. But uh, LSU, great job in this matchup. These two schools combined for over 1,100 yards of total offense. Both quarterbacks played very well. LSU's Joe Burrow went 31 for 39 
with 470 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Three different LSU targets caught the ball for over 120 yards. So they had a monster game uh, receiving for LSU. Now, by comparison, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback for Texas, he went 31 for 47, throwing for 401 yards and four touchdowns. And the defenses had nine total sacks in this game. So the defenses were getting after it, even though they allowed tons of yardage, um, respectively. You know, the defense was busy. They had nine total sacks in the game. And Texas's defense also picked off Joe Burrow once. So it was a really fun game to watch. It was really exciting way to kind of cap off week two action. And uh, I get the victory with a very solid win for LSU on the road at Texas. And I think Texas will play well you know, this season as well. They definitely will rival Oklahoma. But I think a lot of people are optimistic about what Texas could do this season. Despite this loss against LSU, Texas looks like they've got the tools to be successful out of the Big 12. In week three, Boston College versus Kansas. So if we take a look at how I did for week three with my power five locks, in the ACC, I lost this matchup. I had BC over Kansas. Kansas went on the road up to Boston College and embarrassed the Eagles by a score of 48-24. to And with that victory, Kansas broke a 48-game road-losing record versus Power 5 teams, which spanned 11 years. So that's a real solid victory for the Kansas Jayhawks. I honestly didn't think that they would win at BC. I don't think anyone predicted that. So I get the loss, and over a 1,000 yards of combined total offense was put up in this game from these teams collectively. So apparently BC's defense was nowhere to be found during this matchup because the Eagles allowed Kansas to rush for over 329 yards with three touchdowns. 329 yards of rushing in this game put up by the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, that Kansas Jayhawks team that has been perennial losers for over the past decade or so. They came in to Boston College on the road and put up 329 yards rushing with three touchdowns. That's embarrassing. That's something that you do to an FCS opponent. But Kansas did this to Boston College. And yes, the ACC is down this season. No doubt about that. But Boston College was a team out of the ACC Atlantic that you would have thought would be pushing for maybe uh, second or third place within the Atlantic. I mean, with how the ACC is kind of shaping out to be early this season, BC may have had a chance to to rival, you know, the second best team in the ACC, which at this point, I don't really know who, who it is in the, in the Atlantic division, but they got embarrassed point point blank. They got embarrassed by Kansas. BC's running back, A.J. Dillon, he's, a, you know, he's got a lot of Heisman hype to his name. He had a great game rushing with 27 carries for 151 yards and one touchdown. And that may have been the only bright spot for BC in this game, honestly. In week four, LSU versus Vanderbilt. And then in the SEC, I had LSU over Vanderbilt. LSU rolled Vandy by a score of 66 to 38. And if you can believe it or not, this was the first meeting between these two schools since 2010 which seems crazy because they play in the same conference. So that's uh, odd scheduling there in the SEC, but LSU gets the victory nonetheless. Joe Burrow, he actually threw for close to 400 yards in this game with six touchdowns, which set a school record at LSU. So Joe Burrow is just out here balling, folks. In week five, Penn State versus Maryland. If we move to the Big Ten, I had Penn State over Maryland. This was not a contest at all. This was really embarrassing. And the Penn State Nittany Lions get a victory 59-0. to zero. So uh, quite an embarrassment for the Terrapins who, you know, through the first two weeks looked like they were rolling. They were rocking and rolling. And the last two weeks here of the season have been really, uh, really embarrassing for the Maryland Terrapins. Penn State outgained Maryland in total yardage by 619 yards to 128. Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford had an impressive game going 26 for 31 with 398 yards through the air and three touchdowns. Wide receiver K.J. Hamler was the favorite target of the day for Mr. Clifford as the Nittany Lion receiver caught six passes for 108 yards and one touchdown. The Penn State defense also came up big in this game and forced three turnovers in this contest against Maryland. 
And like I said earlier, Maryland, they were they got off to a great start to the season. Maryland scored a combined 142 points in the first two weeks of the season, which was best for, you know, the top team in the country in terms of points scored. And these last two weeks have been really sad because they've only scored 17 points and they've lost both of those matchups. Terrapins quarterback Josh Jackson hasn't looked that good either these last couple weeks. So hopefully they can turn it around. I was really rooting for this program because of the controversy that surrounded this team last season. But, um, you know, great start to the season. But these last two weeks have been really embarrassing if you're a Maryland Terrapins fan. In week six, Georgia versus Tennessee. In the SEC, I had Georgia over Tennessee. Georgia beat the brakes off of Tennessee by a score of 43-14. to 14. And I said it last week, this one was going to be ugly if you're a Tennessee fan. And I think it's just going to be an ugly season. I mean, it's already been pretty dismal. The situation's been really bleak out there in Knoxville. But I'm hoping that Tennessee can have a revenge tour-like season next year. So we'll see, you know, what they can do the rest of the way this season and next season. It would be kind of cool to see Tennessee restore the roar down there in Knoxville. So we'll see what happens. In this game, Bulldogs quarterback Jake Fromm, he went 24 for 29 with 288 yards through the air and two touchdowns. So another great performance for Jake Fromm and the Georgia Bulldogs. In week seven, Georgia versus South Carolina. Georgia would end up losing that game to South Carolina by a score of 20 to 17. Georgia was dominating South Carolina in total yards, total first downs, time of possession. However, Georgia had four turnovers, including three interceptions from quarterback Jake Fromm. And these were the first interceptions for Jake Fromm this season. So I know he had some Heisman hype uh, attached to his name coming into this game. And Georgia looked really great against Tennessee last weekend. In fact, Jake Fromm, he sang Rocky Top in the locker room press conference after the game about a week ago after Georgia beat Tennessee by a score of 43 to 14. So all I have to say is karma is for real. I mean, he was trying to be cute. He was trying to be pretty, trying to be funny in that post-game interview. And it, it bit him this week. Karma is a B. Karma is a big B. And it's just funny how things can just turn in a week in conference play. I mean, the SEC is no joke. And, you know, you get a win against Tennessee, you're feeling good. And then South Carolina, you just implode. And that's what they did. Georgia was a a team this season that I thought could make a serious run at the college football playoffs this year. But this loss hurts. And it's going to be really competitive down the stretch here. There's going to be a lot of teams vying for an opportunity to go to the playoffs and a win against South Carolina is not helping your resume. That's a, that's a pretty bad loss for Georgia. Week 8, Illinois versus number 6 ranked Wisconsin. The biggest game of the weekend ended up being Illinois versus number 6 ranked Wisconsin. This was the most talked about game this weekend. A lot of folks are saying that this was the upset of the season. And I kind of got ahead of myself there. You know, if you haven't watched the game, you know now that Illinois got the victory over Wisconsin by a score of 24 to 23. Illinois was 30 and a half point underdogs in this matchup to Wisconsin at home. And I believe it was Illinois' homecoming, if, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly. So I, I had a lot of friends out there. I grew up in Illinois, so a lot of my friends went there to school. And so a lot of them went back for homecoming. I saw all these pictures of the Illinois matchup, the upset, folks rushing the field. Like It, it looked like it was a wild scene that weekend. So I'm sure my friends had a lot of fun. And it would have been cool to, to see something like that in person. Because I'm sure coming into that matchup, no one expected Illinois to have a shot at winning that game. No one. And if they said they did, they're liars because you're 30 and a half point underdogs. Like you think that you are going to slow down one of the hottest teams this season in Wisconsin. They have Jonathan Taylor, who's been phenomenal this season. They were undefeated. This team, this team looked poised to make a serious run in the Big Ten and Illinois beat them. 
Wisconsin had three costly turnovers in this game. Jonathan Taylor, the running back who I just mentioned, he rushed for 132 yards. I think he had a, a fumble in this game. But anytime you have multiple turnovers, you're letting your opponent into the game. And that's the case here. It's picture perfect. Illinois capitalized on those turnovers caused by its defense, and they were able to win this game by one point. Now, I mentioned Jonathan Taylor. He rushed for 132 yards for the Badgers, and he actually became the fastest to reach 5,000 yards rushing for his career. He's only a junior, and eventually someday he will be a college football Hall of Famer. But that's outstanding for this young man in his third season at Wisconsin to already rush for 5,000 yards rushing for his career. That's that's hats off. That's awesome. Now, getting back to the, the biggest story, though, Illinois got that upset over Wisconsin on the legs of James McCourt. He's their kicker, and he is now the new mayor of Liddyville. He kicked a 39-yard field goal as time expired to win the game. Many are calling this the biggest upset of the college football season. So this was a phenomenal game for Illinois. I, I can't even imagine being there as a, as a fan. As a player, I'm sure it was amazing. Now, I know one person in particular who is probably the biggest Illinois fan that I know, and he didn't even go to the school, but he's still the biggest Illinois fan I know. And I want to call in to him right now. I want to do a live check-in with my man, Herb Lawrence from 670 The Score. He's been on the show before in the past. He has great content on Twitter. He's he's a great follow, and he just has great insight into the program. Let's give Herb Lawrence a call right now to see how he's doing after that historic upset, Illinois over Wisconsin. Here we go. Let's call him up. It's your good friend Andre Cherry from the Cherry Picking Podcast, and I just wanted to get you on the podcast to get your immediate reaction to that historic upset that your Illinois Fighting Illini had at home against number six ranked Wisconsin. Tell me, how do you feel? Were you at the game? Winning this game versus uh, number six ranked Wisconsin was unbelievable. 31 point underdogs to Wisconsin. I didn't think they had a chance of covering, much less winning the game. I didn't watch the game because I had other things to do with my mom's birthday. It was this, uh, this weekend. Well, it's actually Tuesday, but I can't get out of work on Tuesday. So I took her out to lunch, and so I wasn't expecting this and went to enjoy a good day. And when I was buying shoes at the end of the meal, um, I was pleasantly surprised by what they did. I mean, I wasn't getting uh, scoring updates. People were texting me throughout the day, but I was with my mom, so I wasn't really paying attention. And then, like, I got a flurry of texts, so I knew that in a way either kept it close or had won the game. So, yeah, it's probably, if not their biggest upset of all time, number two, I, only one I can think of that is um, closely is uh, Illinois at Ohio State, number one Ohio State, but that Illinois team was ranked and eventually went to the Rose Bowl. This team is not that good, and they won't be going to the Rose Bowl or maybe any bowl. Herb, first of all, the entire cherry-picking team just wants to say happy birthday, happy belated birthday to your mom. Hope she had a great day with her son. And I also want to thank you for talking to us and giving us your reaction from that game this past weekend. And I'm sorry for waking you up from your nap. I hope you get some sleep, well-deserved rest, because you work very hard. But thank you for being a fan and supporter of the Cherry Picking Podcast. I'm glad that we were able to have you on, and I hope you have a great rest of the day. Just some more factoids about this game. Illinois is the first team to win outright as more than a 30-point underdog since Iowa State did it against number 3 Oklahoma on October 7th, 2017. Illinois beat a ranked team for the first time since 2011, and they beat a ranked Big Ten team for the first time since 2007 when the Illini beat number one Ohio State en route to the Rose Bowl that season. If you remember, they had Juice Williams, they had Rashard Mendenhall as the running back, so that team was a pretty legit team for Illinois. But the difference is this team is pretty bad. I'm saying that nicely. They're they're not the same type of team. That that Illinois team from 2007 was highly competitive, and they were expected to go to a bowl game. This team is not that. 
And, you know, Herb Lawrence said, you know, this potentially was the biggest upset that he knows as an Illinois fan. So that's uh, that's saying something. I mean, that's a big statement win for Lovey Smith. That's a big statement win for his program. And you can only move up from here. I mean, that the sky's the limit now. To continue on here, the last time Illinois beat a ranked team at home was October 6, 2007. Uh, it was a 31-26 to victory against number 5, Wisconsin. So Illinois is just... Uh, they just haven't done it in quite a long time, but it feels good when you when you do it. And so I'm sure they are still riding high from that upset victory from Saturday. Illinois has been in games this season, so I, I don't want this upset to seem like it came out of the blue because it, it hasn't. Illinois has been in some games this season, including the 42 to 38 loss to Nebraska and the 42 to 25 loss to Michigan. Those guys were in that those two games. Illinois was in those games, but they were on the losing end of that. Now from this weekend, they finally get a chance to win one against a ranked team in Wisconsin that was probably looking ahead to its matchup to Ohio State this upcoming weekend. So Illinois probably burst that bubble for Wisconsin, but again, hats off to this program. This is a tremendous victory. I think the only thing that is uh, a negative, I guess you would say, is that they're going to slap themselves for letting the Eastern Michigan game slip away from them. That was a game that they needed to win, in my mind, in order to become bowl eligible this season. And I'm not saying that they can't do that. They are still three games on a schedule that Illinois could win to become bowl eligible. And those games are this weekend at Purdue, then on November 2nd against Rutgers, that should be an easy win. And then on November 30th against in-state rival Northwestern. Chicago's Big Ten team, Northwestern. Week nine, Oklahoma versus Kansas State. Then in the Big 12, I had Oklahoma over Kansas State. And I you heard it in the soundbite earlier to start the show. I was really intrigued with this matchup of Kansas State versus Oklahoma because I thought they had a shot to upset Oklahoma. I didn't pick them to do so, but the end result, you see it here. Kansas State gets the victory 48-41 to over Oklahoma. In this game, the Sooners had two fumbles which would prove to be very costly. And they were also outrushed by Kansas State. Combined yardage, 213 yards to 102. Oklahoma also committed some costly penalties in this game, and that is not an ingredient for success. Penalties and fumbles, that will kill you every time. And Oklahoma, unfortunately, learned that lesson the hard way against Kansas State this past weekend. This was the first home victory for the Kansas State Wildcats over Oklahoma since 1996 and just their fourth win ever over a top five team. So great win for Kansas State and Chris Kleiman, who's in his first year at Kansas State. This team is rolling. And the loss snapped Oklahoma's 22-game road win streak, which spanned five years and 22 days since their loss at TCU. That streak was the longest in the nation. So that's a, a tough break for Oklahoma. And with this loss, this is now the third consecutive week that a top 10 team lost to an unranked opponent with Oklahoma joining Georgia and Wisconsin. Week 10, North Carolina versus Virginia. Now, real quick, I want to recap the games that I was watching in Week 10 action. We had some good ones this past weekend. We had Virginia versus North Carolina. I thought North Carolina would get the victory over Virginia because North Carolina has played in some close games this season. They've been on the losing end of some of those matchups, but they've made it very competitive. And I thought North Carolina would step up and win this game against Virginia. It was very close, though. Like I said, Virginia beat North Carolina by a score of 38-31. to There were four lead changes in this game. Both of these teams racked up over 500 yards of total offense. Virginia quarterback Bryce Perkins, he had a great day for the Cavaliers. He threw for 378 yards with three touchdowns, and he also rushed for over 112 yards with two rushing touchdowns. So Bryce Perkins proved to be the dynamic playmaker, the dynamic key to this game for Virginia, and they get a very impressive victory over UNC this past weekend. The Tar Heels have now lost three straight meetings with Virginia after taking seven straight from them in 2010 through 2016. So Virginia is starting to build up its own streak and great job for the Cavaliers. Week 11, number five Penn State versus number 13 Minnesota. 
Now in the Big Ten, I had Penn State over Minnesota. And I want to play you my soundbite from last week's show. Here it is. But if they can get this victory over Penn State, they would be rocking the college football playoffs because Penn State right now is undefeated. They're looking to be one of the teams that could be represented in the playoffs. But if Minnesota upsets Penn State, uh, Penn State will no longer be in consideration for the playoffs because I think a lot of people are just waiting for Penn State to lose. Sure, Penn State has beaten the teams on its schedule. They're number five right now in the AP poll, but I think a lot of folks are just waiting for Penn State to either make or break it. And I don't see Penn State losing this week, but if they do, that would be one heck of an upset. Even despite the fact that Minnesota is ranked 13th in the AP poll, I think they're ranked highly by default as well. I mean, they've beaten the teams on its schedule, but who have they played? Now is make or break time for both of these teams, honestly. So those are my thoughts coming into that matchup, Penn State versus Minnesota. I thought Penn State would have the lock over Minnesota, but I was pleasantly surprised to see Minnesota balling out from the start of this game to the finish. I mean, they led this entire game, and I thought this would be the first test for Minnesota. I honestly did, but I think it was a test that Penn State failed miserably. I mean, Minnesota looked like the better team in this game from start to finish. Hats off to P.J. Fleck and his Gophers. They're rowing that boat. So P.J. Fleck has got his boys rowing that boat. So like I said, Minnesota led the entire game, and its defense came up big against Penn State. Penn State's quarterback, Sean Clifford, he probably had his worst game of the season. He threw for three interceptions in this game. Minnesota's sophomore defensive back, Anton Winfield Jr., had two interceptions on Clifford deep within the red zone. So the Gophers' defense came up big time in this game when it really mattered the most. Winfield had the first two picks in the first half, and this matched the FBS lead and also set up the all-time Minnesota record with seven on the season. So Antone Winfield, great performance by this young man on Minnesota's defense. Great game. Minnesota ended a 13-game losing streak to ranked opponents and beat a top-five team for the first time since a win over number 2 Penn State back in 1999. I initially thought that if Minnesota held on to win this game, you know, if you're a fan or if you're the team, you shouldn't rush the field. I thought, you know, Minnesota coming into the season, they want to be treated like big dogs. They've been playing like big dogs within the Big Ten West division. And I thought, you know, if you want to be treated seriously as a serious opponent, don't rush the field. Because usually when you see see students rushing the field in games, it's because their team was an underdog or a team had no business beating a top tier team. I mean, you you only rush the field in situations when you feel like you're the underdog. But I thought this whole season, Minnesota's whole mantra is row the boat. So PJ Fleck has got his boys rowing that boat. <laughs> and Minnesota wants to be taken seriously. Minnesota wants college game day to come out there because they have a great record. And I was just saying on Twitter, don't rush the field. You know, just act like you've been here before and handle your business. But that wasn't the case. Minnesota rushed the field. It looked like a crazy scene, and I'm sure they had a great time celebrating with the Minnesota football team. Great win for the Gophers. And, um, yeah, you know, you you can't say enough about what P.J. Fleck is doing for this team. He has turned this whole thing around. Minnesota's looking legit. And now Minnesota has a two-game lead in the West Division with three games to go. This week, the Gophers row their boat to face Iowa. Uh, It should be a very tough matchup. The Gophers should beat Northwestern the week right after. And then P.J. Fleck and his boys end the season by hosting Wisconsin. So still a pretty tough stretch for Minnesota and and P.J. Fleck's Gophers team. But they have done a great job thus far. They are 9-0 on the season, and they are looking like legit threats out of the Big Ten West. James Franklin, on the other hand, He's been on the losing end to some of the biggest games of his tenure at Penn State. However, they can right this ship with the victory against Ohio State in two weeks. However, I think that will be very unlikely. But the last time Franklin's squad has beaten Ohio State was back in 2016 when his unranked Nittany Lions team beat number two Ohio State 24-21 to at home. Penn State would eventually go on to win the Big Ten title that season against Wisconsin. And so James Franklin has had some success at Penn State. It just isn't consistent. And I think that's the biggest knock on James Franklin as a head coach. He doesn't make great adjustments. He has questionable play calls in in big matchups. So 
he doesn't help his team all the time, but he is capable of winning big games. This was a big game that they needed to win. They were right in the playoff picture, and now they're outside of that picture. They could probably get back in it with a win against Ohio State, but we'll see if that's something that he can pull off because that would be a huge upset. Ohio State has been playing lights out this entire season, and I just don't see them folding or falling or failing at all before they get to the Big Ten championship game. So that's just my thoughts, but great win for Minnesota, and they continue to row the boat. So P.J. Fleck has got his boys rowing that boat. In Week 11, Illinois versus Michigan State. Illinois versus Michigan State. I want to play you guys a soundbite from last week's show. Here we go. And in the Big Ten, Illinois versus Michigan State. This is this is crazy because Illinois is one of the hottest teams right now. They are riding a three-game win streak within the Big Ten. By comparison, Michigan State has lost its last three games. In those three games, Michigan State has been outscored by a combined 100 to 17 points. So Michigan State is exposed right now. Michigan State is weak right now. And if Illinois can go on the road and win a a matchup at Michigan State, I mean, they will become bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. So this is a, a big opportunity for Illinois. Can they come in and take advantage of a wounded Michigan State team? Illinois certainly can come in and beat Michigan State. They've beaten better teams. They they beat Wisconsin this season. So it's anything is possible. So Illinois ends up getting the victory over Michigan State 37 to 34. This was such a crazy game because Michigan State was leading Illinois 31 to 10 at the end of the third quarter before Illinois scored 27 points in the fourth quarter to win this game. This was the largest comeback in its school history. And Lovey Smith has been at the controls this entire season and he's had some great wins this year, uh, four straight victories. And his Illini are now bowl eligible. After the victory, I just, my Twitter was just flooded with folks who follow that program, who were just so excited about Illinois now becoming bowl eligible yet again. It's been a while since the last time they were bowl eligible, since 2014. So folks were genuinely excited for this moment. And it just, it warms it warms your heart, honestly. If you're a college football fan, these are the stories that you like to see. A program that was basically in the basement, in the dark, for so long. And Lovey Smith came in and just slowly built this program into what it is today. And it looks like he may be leading this team in the right direction, in the in the right path forward. You heard my thoughts with Herb Lawrence earlier in this podcast from last season. I played a soundbite from when Herb and I met and we talked about the Illini program last season, thinking that Lovey would turn this around for this season in 2019, which he has done. So hats off to Lovey Smith and the entire program for building a new culture and creating something that looks to be positive change. I mean, this is a great victory for Illinois. And what I want to do right now is I want to play you the immediate reaction and the immediate thoughts from my good friend Herb Lawrence from 670 The Score. He's an executive producer in Chicago at 670 The Score. He is a great follow. He's a great friend. He's been a great contributor to the Cherry Picking Podcast. And I want to play you Herb's immediate reaction to Illinois' upset victory 37-34 to over Michigan State. This was an unbelievable win by the Illini coming back from 25 on the road versus a team even though they're four and four, Michigan State showed today that they're pretty good. But Lovey Smith and his team and his coaches are resilient. And I just can't say enough words about how much faith that Josh Whitman, the AD, put in him by allowing him to get a extension and sticking with him while others were like, let's move on from Lovey. You see the situation out in Florida State parallels to the Illini situation, but they didn't have faith in what the coach was doing there. You have to allow the coach at least four years, minimum four years to either fire or hire him for more because, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You just don't know what a coach can do when he gets his own players under him, his own coaching staff under him, understand the program. People start believing and buying in. It's invaluable what Josh Whitman did and for them to go bowling with two games left. You know, the Iowa game is going to be really hard to win. They beat them 63 nothing last year. 
I was surprised that Josh Whitman didn't fire him after that game. That's the type of stuff that you need. You need a guy that believes in you. And Josh Whitman believed in Lovey and what he was doing. The program was building. And now to have two games left where the Northwestern game looks like a win, going to win seven games, go to a bowl. Amazing. And the 2020 team even looks better because I just listed all the players who didn't play in this game. Lots of talent just not playing in this game because of injury, uh, suspension. Some of them, uh, some of them are just sitting out a year like Luke Ford, who didn't get to play this year because of the dumb transfer rules. But couldn't be happier for Alana. I'm glad I was wrong. I wanted him fired after the Nebraska loss. Gave up about 700 yards of rushing or of offense. And I'm proud to say that I was wrong. I'll take that L every day of the week. I thought today's game was over when they were down 28 to 3. I was like, all right, just get that Northwestern when we're in the house. So I'll take that L too. I'll take L's all the time if they keep on doing this. Hell. I'm going to that bowl game, whatever bowl game they go to. I mean, within reach. They go to Bahamas, well, I can't go. I don't have a passport. I can't expedite it that quickly. But otherwise, if it's in the United States, I'll try to go. So there we have it. That that was Herb Lawrence's initial reaction to the victory from this past weekend of his Illini squad over Michigan State. I thank you for sending that in, Herb. You were on vacation uh, with your lady. So thank you, Herb. Thank you, Courtney, for sending that in. And I appreciate your help, and I appreciate uh, everything you've done for this show. But this was a crazy game, and just to break it down a little bit further for you guys, the defense got takeaways in this game, which was huge. They got four of them, and this helped Illinois secure the comeback in this victory. Illinois quarterback Brandon Peters threw for 369 yards with three touchdowns and one interception, so he had a great game for the Illini. And Michigan State, they have now lost the last four games on its on its schedule. In the previous three games, Michigan State had been outscored. You heard it in the soundbite earlier by a combined 117 points. This is very frustrating if you're a Michigan State fan, I'm sure. I've seen some things online about Mark D'Antonio possibly needing to leave that program. He's been there for quite some time. And he's been very successful for Michigan State, but these last four games... I'm sure Michigan State fans would like to have back. And this one in particular, when you let Illinois come on the road in your house and get the victory in East Lansing, yikes. That is not good if you're a Michigan State fan. But Illinois is on to better and and greater things this season. They are now bowl eligible in week 11, LSU versus Alabama. The big game of the century, we had number one LSU versus number two Alabama. LSU got the victory 46-41. to Alabama quarterback Tua Tungavailoa ended up making the start for Alabama. I really didn't hear much about his status this entire week, but he made the start, and he was effective for Alabama. I mean, he had a pretty solid game, all things considered, with him coming out of injury and coming out of uh, surgery um, a few weeks ago. So Tua had 418 yards with four touchdowns and one interception, so he played a solid game. But Joe Burrow and the Tigers' offense were perfect. This was looking like a blowout early on LSU's end as they jumped out to a 33 to 13 lead at halftime. So it was looking like it was over. My good friends at Pipeline on Twitter, they were giving me a hard time because I thought this would be a very close game and I thought it'd be a good game. And it ended up becoming close uh, towards the second at the second half and the end of the game. Alabama came back, but it looked like it was going to be a blowout by LSU. And it a little surprising because LSU was on the road. They were in hostile territory, and they put that level of effort into the first half. I thought it was going to be a wrap. So Joe Burrow, as I mentioned, he went 31 for 39 with 393 yards through the air with three touchdowns. He damn near had a perfect game for LSU. And former running back and college football analyst for Fox, Reggie Bush, thinks that Joe Burrow just won himself the Heisman with that big-time performance. So we'll see if, if that's the case. I mean, he very well could win the Heisman, and he's playing great ball this entire season. LSU is undefeated. LSU was my preseason team to make it into the college football playoffs. And I know folks are high on Ohio State. They've been blowing the brakes off of other teams on their schedule, but they aren't playing the level of competition that LSU is right now. And I don't care. All the points, you can score all the points in the world, but... I want to see you do that with LSU's schedule. 
I don't think it would be as easy for Ohio State. I'm not saying that they would lose, but I'm just saying that they play a very tough schedule in the SEC. LSU has handled all the pressures that have come along with that very well, and I think LSU is the best team in college football, hands down. LSU's playmakers showed up big time in this game. Like I said, Joe Burrow had a great performance, despite the fact he was sacked five times by Alabama's defense. So the defense was getting after it. But Joe Burrow remained composed, and he did what he had to do to help his LSU Tigers get the victory. So great win for LSU. This upcoming week, they play Ole Miss, and I think that should be a a nice victory for LSU. But they are fully and firmly in the driver's seat. So great job for LSU and Coach Ed O. In Week 12, number 10, Oklahoma versus number 12, Baylor. Oklahoma versus Baylor matchup, which was the primetime game of Week 12 action. Baylor got out to a huge lead in this game. I mean, this game was, I thought this game was over. I turned away from the game at halftime when the score was 31-10. to 31-10 to 10 Baylor. And if you looked on Twitter, folks were applauding Matt Rule. They're saying, this man, he needs to go to the NFL. This dude... He's coached this team. He's been so successful compared to the other teams in the Big 12. They already have top talent. You know, teams like Oklahoma and Texas, they have a pipeline of talent. But this dude came in when Baylor was pretty much, that program was decimated from the Art Bryles situation. And Matt Rule came in and turned this program around, infused a winning culture and, you know, hats off, regardless of the loss, hats off to Matt Rule because he, he has done a great job. But people are just like, man, Matt Rule is doing the damn thing. They won this game. It's a blowout. Oklahoma sucks. Jalen Hurts isn't as good as a lot of folks think he is. And saying all this and that about it, like they were just running away with their thoughts, thinking that it was a blowout, thinking that Oklahoma wasn't worthy. So I turned away. I was like, this game's done. 31 to 10. That's a wrap. So what I did with my partner, we watched uh, Disney Plus. Her and I watched a little bit of the Peter Pan from back in the day, the animated Peter Pan. And uh, it was cool. I mean, I, you know, Disney Plus. And shout out to my buddy who let me use his Disney Plus login. That was a huge move. Thank you, David. That, that was awesome. So I'm, I'm watching Disney Plus with my partner and we turn on Peter Pan, you know. And I haven't seen Peter Pan since I was a little kid. So I, I don't really remember the movie that much i just remember peter pan and tinkerbell and it was it was actually funny because tinkerbell has low-key shade in this entire movie i mean she has a little crush on peter pan and she's pretty ruthless but the part that really got me a little uh feeling a little uncomfortable was the blatant racism in that movie um i just didn't remember you know there's uh there's Quite a few scenes in that movie where, where they're depicting Native Americans in that movie, and it was pretty blatantly racist. And in the beginning of the movie on Disney+, Plus, there's a disclaimer warning there is uh, uh, nicotine references in this movie. Like, that that was cute. Like, you know, that's cool. You know, warn the little kids about the nicotine references, but really what you should have been warning folks about is the blatant racism in that movie because I didn't realize it. I didn't remember it and we didn't even finish watching the movie, but it was pretty bad. And I think that just, that was a time period back in the day. Like all those movies that came out, all those little animated cartoons, pretty racist and pretty, uh, vaudeville ish. I guess you could say, uh, vaudeville. Um, just, just, I guess that's just a marker of the time period. It, but it just was an uncomfortable watch. And so, yeah, I watched that, but then we turned it back on, and then that's when I saw that Baylor's defense crumbled and allowed Oklahoma to the to erase their three-touchdown lead to end up winning the game for the Sooners. Yikes, man. I, I had Baylor winning this game. I thought they could do it. I thought they would do it, but their defense just crumbled. Jalen Hurts ended up having a great game. He had 411 yards of total offense with four touchdowns and one interception. So Oklahoma lives on in the college football playoff discussion. I mean, they're a team that you have to consider uh, after beating an unbeaten team in the Big 12. They were the last unbeaten team in the Big 12 and uh, such a devastating loss for Baylor. But um, yeah, that that was a game that really was interesting towards the end there. Baylor would end up losing that game 34 to 31. And then in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Clemson versus Ohio State. Let's now transition into the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl college football playoff semifinal game between number two Ohio State 
and number three, Clemson. This one seemed to be one-sided at the start of this game as Ohio State jumped out to a 10-0 lead after the first quarter, and then it was 16-0, I believe, at one point in the in the first half, and it looked like Ohio State was going to run away with this, literally, on the feet of J.K. Dobbins, who ran for a total of 174 yards, including two 60-yarders in the first half. Uh, he was slowed in the second quarter, though, with, with a twisted left ankle. He looked like he was hobbling. He hobbled off to the locker room, and they retaped it, but where he came back in the game later on. But J.K. Dobbins was a beast, and he looked like he single-handedly was going to win the game for Ohio State. And I tweeted out at several points during the first half, you know, Clemson better wake up. You know, I know Clemson is capable of of coming back in games. They've done that this season, uh, most notably against North Carolina. But a team against Ohio State who's just been loaded and balanced all season long, a 16-0 lead smelled like it was ball game early on, honestly. And so I was excited. This was more more of a game than the first matchup between LSU and Oklahoma, sadly. But I was excited. I was fully invested in this matchup. I watched it from first whistle to the last whistle. In this matchup, Clemson had a third and five with just under five minutes remaining in the first half. They were down 16 to nothing to Ohio State. Trevor Lawrence got sacked on the play for a 10-yard loss, which would have made it fourth and 15, which would have forced a punt. Instead, defender Sean Wade was called for targeting and ejected in this matchup. Sean Wade led with the crown of his helmet, and he was making a tackle on Trevor Lawrence. And a lot of people are arguing the fact that Trevor Lawrence ducked his body down. He ducked his body down, and the fact that he ducked was the reason why Sean Wade's helmet hit Trevor Lawrence's helmet and eventually led to a targeting call and ejected Sean Wade from the game. Now, as you can already imagine, a lot of Big Ten fans and Ohio State fans were upset with that call and that decision, which led to Sean Wade's ejection. But I don't know why they, why are you so mad about that? That's the rule. That is the rule. He led with the crown of his helmet and hit Trevor Lawrence in his helmet. I've seen situations like that all season long where a running back or the, the ball carrier or wide receiver catches the, the ball and goes down and the defender hits their helmet uh, to the other opponent's helmet and makes contact. That by the rule is targeting. You are ejected. And just because Trevor Lawrence dipped down doesn't mean that Sean Wade is any less guilty. He hit his helmet to Trevor Lawrence's helmet, and he's ejected. A lot of people were crying foul about that call, and and certainly it was a big momentum shift. I'll give you that. But make a clean tackle. Make a clean tackle. Keep your head up, wrap up, and bring him down. That would have been a, a beautiful sack, and it would have put Clemson in a fourth down situation fourth and long, and they would have had to punt. The score was 16-0 at that point. But due to the targeting call, Clemson got a new set of downs and eventually scored on that down, on that series of downs. So, you know, you only have yourself to blame for putting yourself in that situation. I'm not going to say that the refs made a bad call on that situation or on that play, but it is what it is. You, If you target someone with your helmet, you are going to get ejected, no matter if it's uh, – a non-conference game at the beginning of the season, or a college football playoff semifinal game, as we've seen here in this matchup between Clemson and Ohio State. So that was a huge call. That targeting call eventually gave Clemson 15 yards and a first down because it was a personal foul, and it put Clemson at Ohio State's 30-yard line. The Tigers would end up scoring a touchdown on the possession for their first points of the game. They also followed that up with the stop of Ohio State and a second touchdown, making it 16-14 at the end of the first half. And as the teams were going into the locker room at halftime, score 16-14, Ohio State had the two-point lead over Clemson. Something that really stuck with me was the comments that Ryan Day made. And Ryan Day is a coach of Ohio State. He had some halftime comments that he made in regards to the swing of the game. And it just really stuck with me because... Well, let me read it to you first, and then I'll I'll tell you why it stuck with me. So, and and I quote, this is from Ryan Day, and I quote, You talk about a change of events when they threw Sean out of the game. I have not seen that. 
they said in his halftime interview. You talk about a change of the game. He's out of the game. It's fourth and 15. They get the first down and score. That was a huge change, but that's behind us, end quote. And something that just stuck out with me was the fact that that sounds a lot like what a loser would sound like. You know what I mean? It's like someone that isn't able to take control of their own situation and and try to move ahead. They dwell on things that happened in the past. And he said it at the end that, you know, that's behind us and we'll move forward. But the fact that he led off that interview with this is what happened in the game. This is what changed the momentum of the game. And that was huge. They threw him. They threw him out of the game, meaning the refs threw him out of the game. That was within the ref's control. They threw him out. No, that was within Sean's control. Sean targeted Trevor Lawrence and got thrown out of the game. You need to deal with the reality as it stands. He's out. What are you going to do to adjust? You have an opportunity. You're still up two points at the at the half. Come out in the second half and have that same enthusiasm, that same intensity that you had in the first half and go out and win this game. Losers dwell on what happened to them in the past. It, it's ha- it happened. Move on. Why would you start your interview with that line of thinking? You should be you should be thinking, you know what, we have an opportunity in the second half to get after it. Our team's going to attack the same way we did in the first half. Uh, offensively, you know, we're going to try to run the ball like we did so well in the first half. Like, I, I want to hear th- those types of comments from your head coach at halftime. I don't want to hear some excuse why you're down or why you're in this position and why the momentum changed. I want to hear about what you're going to do to win the second half. And losers dwell in the past. And I saw a lot of that on Twitter from Ohio State fans the entire rest of the game. The fact that, oh, a targeting call was the reason why we lost this game. Or a targeting call is the reason why Clemson was in this position. No, the reason Clemson won this game is because they adjusted. They adjusted to what you were showing them in the first half. And they came out with a different effort, different look. And they won the game. Hats off to Dabo Sweeney and that entire coaching staff for making the adjustments and for doing what was necessary to win the game. But losers dwell on the past and what happened. You have to make the most of the opportunity that's in front of you. You control your own destiny. Only worry about what you can control. And it really stuck with me because that's what a loser sounds like. And that's just that's my opinion on that and that's my thought. But I, I just it, it really rubbed me the wrong way when I when I heard that from Ryan Day. And then in the third quarter the Buckeye shot themselves in the foot again with a roughing the punter call, which eventually led to Clemson taking its first lead of the game. So Ohio State didn't do themselves any favors in this game with some of the personal personal fouls um, and the penalties. But again, you only have yourself to blame for that. You can't blame a ref or an official for that. In the third quarter, though, it did look as if Ohio State would regain the lead when All-American Jeff Okuda stripped Clemson's Justin Ross and Jordan Fuller scooped and scored for a touchdown. However, a video review ruled Ross had not completed the catch and turned a touchdown into an incomplete pass. This one was a really controversial play, and I actually don't know I don't know where I stand on this issue or on this ruling. In fast time or real time, it looked as if Clemson's receiver Justin Ross didn't make a complete catch. And it looked in real time as if it was an incomplete pass. However, when you look at the replay and you and you slow it down, it looks as if Ross is able to catch the catch the pass and he's able to make I think four steps with with the ball in his possession before Jeff Okuda strips Ross and the ball you know lands on the ground and Ohio State is able to scoop and score for a touchdown. That was a really controversial play. Uh, the ref who was working the game for ESPN gave his initial take on on the on the call. It was ruled a touchdown initially, but the official who was in the booth for ESPN said that he would call it um, an incomplete pass, and that was a uh, really probably the 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 most pivotal point in the game was that that call to reverse the touchdown based upon video evidence or lack thereof that. It wasn't a completed catch by Clemson. I don't. I don't know that if I have a strong opinion on that. I mean, I, I honestly, in real time, it looked like it wasn't a catch, but in replay, 
that was a catch on replay, and I don't, and I don't know what the official saw to overturn that or overrule the decision that that was a touchdown, but that was probably the most pivotal point in the game, and it gave Clemson all the momentum from that point on. So I wanted to call that out because I know there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion about that, and I don't know if any sort of rule change will come in the postseason, but that was a pivotal point in the game, and that really... I think, in my mind, swung the momentum back to Clemson, honestly. But as I mentioned in this matchup, those penalties did Ohio State in, and then two interceptions were thrown by Justin Fields in this game. And it's surprising because Justin Fields only threw one interception during the entire regular season. So the fact that Clemson was able to force two interceptions on a guy that normally doesn't throw interceptions, hats off to Clemson's defense. I mean, you did a remarkable job against an offense that looked like one of the best all season long next to LSU. So there we have it, everyone. Those were the 14 games from the 2019 season that I think you could watch each day of your 14-day quarantine. So each day, you watch at least one of these games, and that'll get you through the quarantine. And there are more games that are out there. There are a lot of games that have you know a lot of interest and were uh, very exciting this year. But I thought these 14 games were the most intriguing matchups throughout the 2019 season. And I cannot wait for the 2020 season. I'm waiting just like everyone else for word of when sports will resume. You know, I'm a huge college football fan, so I'm really hoping and and keep my fingers crossed that the season will start in the fall with no issues, no delays. But we are living in some uncertain times right now. This is uh, anything... This is beyond anything that I would have ever imagined. I'm just trying to hold on and, and trying to make it through each day just like everyone else is. And so I hope these podcasts give you some comfort, give you some relief. I hope you enjoy listening to this content and it's my hope to continue churning out content as we move along here in this new normal. You know, no one knows what is going to happen day to day, sometimes even hour to hour. It just seems so uncertain. Uh, The changes that are coming through seem so fluid with the developments pertaining to corona, the coronavirus and COVID-19. Ten days ago, I was in Chicago. On March 10th, I was at the Bulls game with my dad. It was the last Bulls game. Unbeknownst to us, that was the last Bulls game of probably the season. I I don't know if this is as bad as we think it might be. Basketball will not be back this season. So my dad and I saw the very last Bulls game of the season, which is crazy. And then a few days before that, I was at the Flyers game with my friend Casey, where we saw the Flyers beat the Sabres. And so, you know, that might be the very last game of the season. Who knows? No one knows. And we're all bracing for something that we can't see, but the threat is very real. I mean, if you're looking at the impact it's had on other parts of the country. If you're looking at what what it's done to Italy, I mean, this is scary stuff. And I just hope that you're all staying safe. I hope you take the advice and the, uh, the, uh, the guidance from the government and medical officials to stay inside. It just, that's all you can do. And I hope in some small way, this podcast provides you some entertainment that may be lacking from your regular everyday life. You know, this is a very different world. Podcasting has the ability to connect folks. Um, it's a it's a medium that, I guess, isn't under the same pressures as network TV. I mean, you're seeing a lot of sportscasters do broadcasts from their home, from their living room. Movie theaters have shut down. This movie studios have shut down, so... Podcasting is one of those mediums that can really connect folks during this time. And so I'm just trying to do what I can do to provide entertainment. And I hope you find this useful. I hope you enjoy it in some small way. Um, If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Cherry underscore Pickin. You can find all my content at CherryPickinSports.com. And if you're new to this show, I usually don't sound like this. But like I said at the top, I'm battling some sort of allergies or some sort of cold. I hope to God it's not coronavirus, but I'll find out fairly soon here if it is. But with that, I hope you 
I hope you are staying safe, and I hope to talk to you again fairly soon here. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I greatly appreciate it, and I cannot wait to talk to you all again soon. With that, I want to wish you good health, and I look forward to talking to you very soon. Take care. (coughs) Thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Picking Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website cherrypickingsports.com. If you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care. <laughs>